Today we're going to be out of 1 Corinthians. We're back in 1 Corinthians. We took a week break with Pastor Austin. We're out of Psalms last week, but we'll be out of Corinthians chapter 4, 14 to 21. So if you're able to, uh, turn there with me through, your, through the Bible and, or your phones. A little bit of context here and a little bit of setup here for our next series. We're, we're continuing on with our Church Matters series, and we are in the section called Holiness. We spent about eight weeks focusing on the unity of the church. Now we'll take roughly about six weeks to talk about the holiness of his church. And Christ does care about the holiness of his church. He paid dearly for it. He wants to get what he paid for. Amen? And so this series will cover some very challenging topics. We'll cover issues of church discipline. That comes out of chapter, chapter 5. We'll cover issues of personal conflicts within the church. We'll talk about also issues of sexual purity and holiness in the church. We'll even talk about how these things should dictate our personal choices as we live as holy vessels for the Lord. Today, Paul is going to teach us on what it means to be a spiritual father. So if you're able to, please rise with me. We do this to honor God's word and to honor God. We'll be at our 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14 through 21. Paul writes, this is God's word. I now write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For, for, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus... I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Verse 17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of all my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Verse 18, Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Verse 21. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to learn more about your son. Help us to learn more about your character. I pray, Lord, your word will be preached by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. This is a very challenging passage for me this week as I was sitting under the Word, sitting on the 1 Corinthians 4 this week. It's been edifying for me. It's been building me up. It's been challenging me in a lot of ways, and you'll know why in a few moments as we get through the sermon. But as I was thinking about our nation, as I was thinking about our world, as I was thinking about Evergreen SUV, the, the thought of fatherlessness came to mind. And fatherlessness is an epidemic in the United States of America. According to the National Fatherhood Initiative, this is a quote, they say this, there is a father absence crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children or more than one in four children live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. Fatherlessness. Biological fathers, 
are missing in doing their role. And in this cultural climate that we may be facing, we may have less shade from the higher-ups, I should say. Meaning national leaders, local leaders may provide less shade for our people. We've talked about that in Romans 1, how perhaps God may be releasing his covering in terms of just restraining evil and sin in our culture. I mean, after all, we've had hundreds of years of gospel saturation in our culture. And what do we have to show for it as a nation? We may be heading into a new era where it's going to be a lot, much, much harder to be a professing Christian in the United States of America. Not only will you be ridiculed, not only will we be mocked, we could experience some level of persecution as Christians in America. We could be headed closer to that day. We could be losing certain religious freedoms, being able to gather, even certain privileges as, as we enjoy as a church. We could be losing this. So it could be harder. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Make no mistake about it. Christ is building his church. He will use all of that to purify the church, to refine the church, to prune the church, to build the church as he promised. If Christ makes a, made a promise, it is going to happen. It is happening. And this, what, what this would call for, since we may have less covering, is this. We need more spiritual fathers to rise up. Brothers, this is why we're here. Brothers, this is what God has called us to serve, not just in our homes, but in the church. Of course, first in our homes, but also in our church home. Spiritual fatherhood is what we're talking about. So right here, Paul is teaching the Corinthians what it means to be their spiritual father. And 2,000 years later, he's teaching us, Evergreen SUV, what it means to be a spiritual father. So I got a little tool to help us to kind of follow along this sermon this week. Paul led. Paul led. L-E-D. Three points of application. Paul led. So what do spiritual fathers look like? First point is L. Spiritual fathers, fill in the blank, love. Spiritual fathers are motivated out of love. Let me read verse 14 for us. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children, Paul writes. Not to shame you. Why does Paul talk about this? Well, a little bit of context here. Corinth was a shame honor culture. I mean, this was it. This is what motivated people to avoid shame and to gain honor. Anthony Thesselton, scholar of the of First Corinthians, writes about the Corinth about the Corinthians. Shame tends to relate to corporate and social lack of honor, and to losing face. You heard that term before, right? Losing face. Anyone's among. One's peers, losing face among one's peers or in the sight of superiors or inferiors. Losing face, maintaining face is what motivated the Corinthians. So Paul said, I'm not here to shame you. This is not what I'm trying to do here right now. 
So the Corinthians perhaps could have been extra sensitive to any admonishment. They could have been a little bit soft. So when anyone would challenge them, when anyone have any critique, perhaps the Corinthians could have been a little bit soft, a little bit extra sensitive. It's like, whoa, all of a sudden a little critique and the wall comes up. So Paul was trying to, I believe, was trying to mitigate some of this. And we can't be too soft. We can't be too sensitive as a Christian group where, where there's any critique from the word or from another brother or sister where we shut it down. We cannot be like that. If we want to pursue holiness, we need one another. This is what we're called to do. So Paul says, but to admonish you. What does this mean? To be like as any parent would be, to correct, to, to build up, to encourage. And he, Paul calls them his beloved children. Right? Paul loved the Corinthian church. Paul is the one in Acts where God says, hang in there, Paul. Keep preaching the gospel, Paul, because I have a lot of my people in here. And Paul preached the gospel, and a lot of the Corinthians became his spiritual children. Now, verse 15, I want to, Paul gives us an illustration of this here. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, Paul uses hyperbole. This is a hyperbolic, this is an exaggerated statement. If you were to have myriads or countless and countless, ten thousands upon ten thousands of tutors, you wouldn't have many fathers. What, what, was the, what was the significance of tutors in the time of Paul? Well, in the Roman Empire, brothers and sisters, the Roman Empire had a low view of children. It was more of a hands-off approach by the fathers. So what they did was they hired slaves to raise and rear their children. The slaves acted as basically moral managers or moral stewards of the children to raise up the sons and daughters of these people. And Corinth was an affluent city. No doubt they had slaves. No doubt they had people to raise their kids. So Paul is saying, I'm not just one of these hired hands now. I'm actually your spiritual father. So Paul was saying, you could have a many, countless amount of tutors, but you're not going to have many fathers. And how do you get, become a spiritual father? Sorry, these, the wind is blowing my Bible here. <laughs> Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. How you do that is this. You preach the gospel. You proclaim the gospel to somebody. They believe and they become reborn. You become their spiritual father. Paul undoubtedly had many spiritual children. So being a spiritual father, there's a reproductive element to it, right? Amen? In order to be a father, you need to have children in, in the physical sense, right? But in the spiritual sense, we need to be proclaiming the gospel so we will have spiritual children. For example, Paul calls other people his spiritual children. In Philemon, verse 10, he goes, My child Onesimus, whom I have begotten. Right? There it is. There's a sense of giving birth to, uh, to Onesimus. Galatians 4.19, Paul says this, My children with whom I am in again in labor. Right? So there's this father-mother imagery over the children. So any parent absolutely feels the weight of what Paul's talking about. Any parent who has children feels the weight of parenting their children. 
It isn't good enough to father children. Amen, brothers? We need to parent them. It isn't good enough as mothers to give birth to children. In the physical sense, we need to parent them. No, no different in the spiritual realm, okay? As spiritual fathers, we have special authority and responsibility to care for these spiritual children. Question, have you ever led anyone to Christ before? Has God ever given you the privilege and the blessing to leading someone to Christ? If so, you're a spiritual father to them or a spiritual mother to them. And really, it takes on what we're about here at Evergreen. It's about discipleship. There's two phases, right? Brothers and sisters, what are the first phase? Evangelism. That's like giving birth to somebody. Spiritual birth, sort of speaking. That's step one. But it doesn't stop there. There's phase two. It's called edification, where we build up other Christians to become more holy. This is Paul simply preaching on discipleship in Corinth, where spiritual fathers give birth, spiritual mothers give birth through evangelism, and spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers edify or parent Christians. So the first point of this, what do spiritual fathers look like? L. Spiritual fathers love. They love their children, right? I think we can understand this on a physical sense, but also as spiritual parents. What are spiritual fathers like? Let's go to the next point. Spiritual fathers are E, E for, they're examples. Spiritual fathers serve as examples, During my time as a coach, I mean, I've had so many people pour into my life. One of the highlights, some of the highlight relationships that I've had as a younger younger coach, I was in my 20s. Starting out, God provided an opportunity to, to meet some incredible people to help mentor me. And one of these treasured relationships I have is had was with Coach John Wooden where I got to go to his home, Charlotte and I got to go to his home, hang out with him, have dinner with him, stay up to his, his, his condo till about 11 o'clock at night. And although I wanted to stay there longer, man, this man in his 90s, he probably should go to bed. I was like, oh, I got to go. I was, like, I was like, can I sleep over? You know, can I just sleep on that ground just, so we could just pick this up in the morning? But I left eventually. I didn't bother him too much. But Coach Wooden was an incredible example, a type of a father figure for me. And he had this poem that talked about what it means to be an example. Let me read this for us. John Wooden. I don't think he wrote this, but he used to quote it. He, he quoted this all the time. No written word, no spoken plea can teach our youth what they should be. Nor all the books on all the shelves. It's what the teachers are themselves. So what Coach Wooden was trying to remind me is, hey, man, if you want to be a great coach, you got to live it. you got to exemplify what it means to whatever, to be a great football coach, football player, a parent, what have you. You need to be a genuine example. I felt exhorted by uh, uh, Coach Wooden in his 90s. He had a sharp mind back then, too. So Paul right here is saying this in verse 16. Therefore, I exhort you. Not just, eh, what you think about it. I exhort you 
be imitators of me. Paul is saying, look at me as an example. Now that takes a lot to put yourself out there to say, hey, I am an example. Paul uses this type of exhortation at least six times in his epistles. He always says, hey, be imitators of me or follow my example, follow how I, my conduct of living. He says this oftentimes in his epistle. So fathers provide a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And Paul put, him, put himself out there. Verse 17, Paul backs it up with another illustration. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul fathered Timothy. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. And he loved them. He goes, my beloved Timothy. But he also calls him my faithful child in the Lord. Timothy was a carbon copy of Paul. These two had a close relationship. These two were close, like actual father, actual son. And so Paul, he couldn't get to Corinth yet, so he sends Timothy the next best thing. And in Philippians 2, Paul calls Timothy the loyal one. He served me like a child serving his father. This is Timothy. This is practically Paul's own flesh and blood. He's his own spiritual flesh and blood. And Paul sent Timothy to remind the Corinthians of his ways, Paul's ways, which are in Christ. And Paul couldn't think of anything, anybody else to send better than Timothy. And Timothy and Paul were absolutely endeared to one another. You have this feeling here as Paul writes to Timothy in his letters, these private letters to Timothy and Timothy 1 and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. They loved each other. And the point was this. I'm sending you my own flesh and blood. He's going to remind you of everything that I taught you because he is going to be a living example of my fatherhood. Right? This is what it means to be a father. You produce children like you. Like it or not, that's what it's like. And Paul talks about how Timothy is going to remind you and teach you and, 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 and exhort you to be everything that Paul called him to be. And not just for the Corinthians. He goes, just as I teach everywhere in every church, this is what I call for every church to be like. So this counts for Evergreen as well. This is a universal charge that Paul's making through Timothy. 2,000 years later, he's charging us. Now, yes, Timothy was an ex incredible example of Paul's fathering, but this, do this drove me deeper into this mind. How did Paul father Timothy? That's what you should be asking. Well, Timothy ended up great. You want to know how did Paul do it? That's what I want to know. How did Paul father him? I'm going to turn to 1 Timothy. All right, If you want... Follow along with me. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. This is some sage advice, some fatherly advice that Paul gives to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 16. He says this. Play, pay, excuse me, pay close attention 
to yourself and to your teaching. Let me read that again. Pay, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, Timothy. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. He was telling Timothy, you need to watch your life and your doctrine, your teaching, because it's going to affect, positively or negatively affect, the people that you are ministering to. Watch your life and your teaching, Timothy. So the first thing, I'm going to just talk about temp teaching. Paul was telling Timothy, make sure you're teaching sound truth, not false things. Make sure what you're teaching is true and right. The scriptures preach the word. Read the scriptures in public. So make sure you're teaching sound doctrine. So as spiritual fathers, we need to be teaching the Bible to our spiritual children. Obviously our physical children, but also our spiritual children. The word needs to be central. Second thing, he says, watch yourself. Watch how you live. Watch yourself. Watch how you live. And basically what Paul's saying is this. Your life that you live, hear me, brothers, the life that you live will either undergird your teaching or undermine your teaching. You could say all the right things. You could teach all the right things. But if your life does not reflect that, it may actually undermine your teaching. Like I've talked about, I've had some great mentors and some great people around me. In June 2017, as, as we've already accepted the position to be senior pastor here, I flew down. There was a conference going on here called the Ligonier's Conference here at Evergreen SUV. And Pastor John MacArthur was one of the speakers. We spent about an hour in, in my current office upstairs. And I just asked him, Give me some advice, will you, please? <laughs> You've been doing this for 50 years. Can you give, throw me a bone? Can you give this young new pastor some advice? Pastor MacArthur gave, pretty much gave me some great fatherly advice. And basically what he said to me is this. Time and truth go hand in hand. Time and truth go hand in hand. Meaning give enough time, the truth about who you are will come out. Rocky, he said, the most important thing is this, your devotion life before Christ. Who are you? This is the most important thing, that you are growing in your love and sanctification in Christ. Are you growing in your love for Christ? That's what he said to me. Nothing complicated. He didn't give us an elaborate formula, but he just said, make sure your devotion life before Christ is real. So Paul, I believe, uses to shepherd and to father Timothy. In our discipleship tool belt, we have a few big tools. And this is the big tool that Paul used. Paul's tool that he uses is personal holiness. Paul obviously was a godly man. Paul obviously 
lived what he preached. Not perfectly, but genuinely, Paul lived it, spoke it. This is who he was. And Paul's life exemplified his teaching. Obviously, his life undergirded his teaching with Timothy. And we're all continuing to grow in our holiness. Amen, brothers and sisters? I am constantly growing in my sanctification. I try to be a good example, but not perfect all the time. My, my wife, she's awesome. She has high standards for me. She actually expects me to live out everything that I preach. But I try. I try. I, but oftentimes, I end up saying sorry to her and the children. But we're all under sanctification, amen? No one's a perfect example. But let's be genuine examples. That's what we're talking about here. Paul wasn't even a perfect example. But he certainly was a genuine example. Now the second tool that I believe Paul used in his discipleship tool belt is this. This is kind of a more obscure tool. This, this tool could be less comfortable to use. Perhaps it's not very cultural for some of us to use. And at times, this is a very much underutilized tool that we have, brothers and sisters, in our discipleship tool belt. What is that tool I'm talking about? Well, Paul's second tool that I believe that he used to father Timothy was this. He used his scars. Paul used his scars to disciple and father Timothy. I got, let's turn back at a Timothy chapter 1 now. If you got your Bibles, you got your thumb there, let's go to Timothy chapter 1. As you're turning there, I think it's important for me to give you a little bit of context of Timothy 1. As the wind is blowing here. Timothy 1, Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. Timothy is a brand new young pastor taking over a historic church in Ephesus. He's taking over the Ephesian church. And the Ephesian church had many challenges. They had false disciples, I mean, false disciples everywhere. There are uh, bad leadership there. there. There are horrible elders there. There's false doctrine being spread. And Paul was called to reset the culture and install good leadership there. This is very much challenging for a brand new young pastor to do. And Timothy, mind you, was timid too, as well. He had a tendency to be a little bit timid. So Paul is encouraging him here. And this is how he encourages him. 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. Look what he does. He uses his scars to motivate Brother Timothy here. Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, putting because he considered me faithful putting me into his service. Paul was called to be an apostle by God himself. Now here's the part where Paul's opening up his soul to Timothy. This is who I am. This is your spiritual father. He says to him, even though I was, a, I was formerly a blasphemer, that means Paul spoke lies against God at one time. That's a blasphemer. And a persecutor. Paul persecuted the church. He Arrested Christians, prosecuted Christians, even contributed to murdering other Christians. 
and a, former, and a violent aggressor. Paul was arrogant and acted out in violence. But look what he says. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul shares his scars with Timothy. Paul used that precious tool of his scars to father Timothy. Paul was a genuine example, not a perfect example. Now, as I was studying this, brothers and sisters, my own personal journey started unfolding. I'm reading this as Paul says this, imitate me, right? And I'm reading this, and it's hitting me being tuned to eyes. Am I like Paul? I like to be, right? But am I sharing my scars like Paul? I've been praying for quite some time about how I would do this. And before becoming a Christian, even early on in my Christian life, maybe the first year of my Christian life, I was a baby Christian at the University of Southern California. I was involved with a lot of sinful things. And I thought to myself, when will be the time to share these things with my children, my own biological children? Because I am their father, but also their spiritual father. And as I was looking at this scripture, it was hitting me in the, between the eyes. The girls are old enough. I thought to myself, this might be the right time. And the Lord was stirring in my heart. So I sat them down. We went through Timothy right here and talked about how Paul uses scars to, to disciple Timothy. And look how honest he was. Look how he talks about his past. So I sat them down and I just I talked to them about some of my lack of sexual purity before being married. I talked to them about some of the, the party culture that I used to be a part of. And people may ask me, why do you need to do that? You may ask me, why, why would you go there? Well, the same reason why Paul went there is to father my spiritual children. And although I'm not necessarily perhaps a spiritual father to everyone here, I know it's my role to be an example. The Bible says, be an example. And, well, one thing, just for my own kids, I just don't want them to walk through the same regrets that I've had. These are some of the greatest regrets I've ever had. I haven't had many regrets in my life by God's grace, but those are some of them. But more importantly, I think, as Paul, let's see, Paul writes afterwards in 1 Timothy 1, this is why he shared this with Timothy, I believe. Let me read this for us. And this is why... I share it with my own children. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. It is a trustworthy statement, Paul writes, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? This is why Christ came, to save sinners, like, sinners like you and me. Paul goes on to write, among whom I am the foremost of all. I'm the worst of them, Paul writes. Verse 16. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, the worst of them, Paul writes, Jesus Christ might, listen to what Paul writes, might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul was an example 
of how great the gospel is in changing one person's life. I'm happy to tell you, Paul changed. Paul was no longer the murderer. Paul no longer was a persecutor of the church. Paul no longer was a blasphemer. Paul became a lover of Christ. Paul became a lover of the church. He gave himself up for the church. I'm happy to tell my kids and to you guys, as you're, as you're sitting there, I'm no longer the same 20 years ago. The gospel changes everything. I believe by being a genuine example to those who you lead absolutely undergirds the teaching. Absolutely undergirds your teaching. That's what I've learned in my time leading people is this. They don't necessarily want perfect. They don't necessarily need, require smarts. They don't necessarily need, require style or fashion points. What they need is genuine. Can they trust who they're standing before them and talking to them about truth? Can they trust this person? Do the people that you spiritually parent trust you? That's really what it comes down to. But also, when you are genuine about your scars, honest about your scars, it screams of your belief in the sufficiency of the gospel. I'm not ashamed Paul wasn't ashamed, but in a shame, honor culture like in Corinth or maybe even at Evergreen SGV perhaps, it could define you. It could define me, our mistakes. But really the gospel, Christ Jesus, is who defines us. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And how you emit that message, of course, is by proclaiming the gospel and about Christ. But how you radiate that message is by the life you live. Being the good example, but also sharing your scars. I believe that screams about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now the Bible also says, do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. My caution to the church family is this. Spiritual fathers plant in water. Spiritual fathers plant water. If you're, if you're planting seeds of, of genuineness, you, there's a good chance you may reap a genuine harvest. But if you're sowing seeds of facade, there's a chance that you may reap a fake harvest. We want genuine Brothers and sisters, genuine children. Heinrich Hein, a 19th century German philosopher, says this, Show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. That's what he said. I think he was a non-believer. Heinrich Hein. Spiritual fathers need to be genuine examples. Let's finish up here with a final point. Briefly, what do spiritual fathers look like? Well, Paul led, right? L, he loves his spiritual children. We love our spiritual children. E, spiritual fathers are examples. And now D, spiritual fathers discipline. Discipline. Let me just go over to Psalm, verse 18 says this, back in 1 Corinthians. If I could get there. I'm there. Verse 18, now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. 
right? Paul was recognizing the haughtiness of the Corinthians. What? You're only going to send Timothy? You're going to send the second stringer? How come we don't get you? Remember, they're about, they're about having the name person show up. And people, some of the people were being arrogant about that. And Paul writes, if God wills, right? That's always a good sign that you trust in God's sovereignty. Like, we could make all the plans, but if God wills, if God allows it, I'll be there, and I'm planning to come there. And then this is where Paul is talking about here. As spiritual father's discipline, he was basically saying in verse 19 and 20, I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Talk is cheap, brothers and sisters. That's what Paul is saying. Talk is cheap. Show me. Show me is what he's saying. All right, Missouri, right, is a show me state, I think. <laughs> because the Corinthians are all about fancy talk. They're about worldly wisdom. They wanted to make a good presentation. They wanted to make a, be eloquent in their speech. But guess what? No changed lives. That's all talk. Empty talk doesn't do anything. But power, remember 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are to be saved is the power of God. What does Romans 1.16 says? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? For it is the what? For it is the power of God to those who are being saved. Gospel power, Paul is talking about, changed life. Can I'm going to see if it's just talk, or I'm going to see if lives have been changed through the preaching of the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about here. And in verse 21 here, Paul is coming with it now. He's prepared to bring it as a father. Once in a while, fathers, we know we got to bring it, right? The rod shows up once in a while when necessary, you know. Verse 21 says, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? What is Paul talking about? Well, next chapter now, chapter 5, if you want to read ahead when you get home, go for it. There is some gross immorality going on in the Corinthian church. You'll find out more when we preach this chapter 5 in a couple weeks. But there is some severe immorality going on at, in the church of Corinth. And the leaders are doing nothing about it. Nothing about it. But Paul, motivated out of his love, he's saying, I'm prepared to bring the rod or love and a spirit of gentleness. What is the rod for? The rod is for unrepentant, hard, stiff-necked sinners. The rod is extra encouragement to repent. All right? We know this as parents who minister the rod. To get the point across of Love and the spirit of gentleness is for those who are repentant, those who have a soft heart. It's like, welcome back. Nothing's changed. We're a family. This is the type of church we need to be like, where we welcome back repentant sinners. But we do take sin seriously. Remember, this whole series is about the holiness of the church. Christ cares about the holiness of his church, and he uses spiritual fathers to help promote holiness. What are the three things? Spiritual fathers, L, love their children. Spiritual fathers, E, are examples, are genuine examples. And D, spiritual fathers, 
discipline. We'll cover that more in depth in the next sermon out of 1 Corinthians in a few weeks. Brothers, this is an opportunity for us to rise up as spiritual fathers. This is the time. This is the time. And we're not alone. We got each other to do this. This is the time. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to preach 1 Corinthians 4. We need to help father one another. We need to help father the church. This is how this works. This is what life in the church is all about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach on 1 Corinthians 4. Thank you for Paul teaching us what it means to be a spiritual father. Thank you, Lord, that he loves his children so much. Thank you, Lord, that Paul was a genuine example. And thank you, Lord, that Paul loved the church so much that he was willing to discipline them. Lord, will you allow us to be like this? Will you raise up spiritual fathers to love Evergreen well? Will you raise up spiritual fathers to be genuine examples to the people? Will you raise up spiritual fathers so that we could help encourage and to restore one another in the spirit of love and discipline one another? Thank you, Father, that our past no longer, no longer defines who we are. It may describe us, Lord, but thank you, Lord Jesus, that the gospel, your death and resurrection, defines who we are in Christ. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for loving your church so much. Thank you that you're building your church in, in a challenging time such as this. At the end of the day, you are on the throne. We trust you and we love you. You are our heavenly Father, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.